All right, for the rest of us, let's take out our Bibles, find Psalm 67 once again. Psalm 67. I don't know if I need to keep reminding you, but this is the psalm that I preached from for the first three weeks of my pastorate here 11 years ago at this time of year. I think it is um, a good psalm for the Advent season and expressing the desire that the psalmist has to see people from all over the world come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Really, this is what Christmas is about and God's plan to do just that, make worshipers of people around the world. But I want it to be somewhat, and that's why it was my first text that I preached here, I want it to be for us a theme psalm. You know, many people have life verses or theme verses for their life. If you have one of those, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but raise your hand. If you've got like, if somebody said, do you have a life verse? Anybody have those? I see a number of hands go up. I don't have one because I just can't make that kind of commitment. That's why I don't have a tattoo, all right? I just can't make that kind of lifelong decision. But I want Psalm 67 to be that kind of lifeblood for our church. I want us to have the passion for God's glory and a desire to see people come to know Him for His glory among the nations. This is a psalm that can give us real passion and purpose and help us set priorities. You'll remember that Psalm 67 is a song written probably by David to be used in corporate worship at the tabernacle. It was given to the choir master to be sung to the people and eventually, most likely, by the people in their worship of God, meaning God wants us all to share the same passion and desire that we see in this psalm. But last week, we talked about the fact that there is an underlying tension in this psalm, maybe a problem we encounter as we read it, is that we see very clearly how we're supposed to feel about God's glory and the passion we're supposed to have. But that problem that we address is that we don't always have that, do we? And we feel more like Psalm 42, where the psalmist said, As the deer pants for the water, for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And we said that was the picture of a wild animal who needs water for life but can't find it. And so our souls often get into that kind of state. And we talked about that. In just a minute, after we read Psalm 67, I want to talk a little more about that. Because I didn't give much direction last week as to what to do when we're in that state. We just acknowledged that that's a real state. Trying to lift that burden off of people that are not feeling the passion for God they're supposed to feel. Lift the burden of guilt off of them to recognize that God's people have always walked through this struggle. And this week I want to talk a little bit about what to do when we're in that struggle. So let's just read Psalm 67 
It's to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's just pause now and ask God's blessing upon this passage. Father, the book we have before us is a spiritual book. It's written by you for us. And we need the Spirit's guidance in seeing what you want us to see and helping us and guiding us and encouraging us. So I ask for your help to do that this morning. That you'd guide me and help me and gift me. That you'd open up eyes and ears and hearts to receive your word with meekness and excitement and joy and real desire to apply it to our lives. We are such a needy people every day. So be gracious to us this morning now in this time and bless us and make your face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. recognition of the glory that is due to the name of God and to who he is and that all peoples from all places would be worshiping him. And understand, friends, that in the Bible, the trajectory of history, we talk about the return of Christ, we're in that Advent season now, right? Between his first coming to the world and then his second return, and we're looking forward to that. The trajectory, the goal of all of that is global worship. So if you're wondering how it all ends up, it all ends up with global worship of this God. This prayer will be answered, you see. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 5 verses 13 and 14, that throne room scene, a future throne room scene, I believe. And he says, and I heard every creature in heaven and, and on earth and under the earth And in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped, you see. It's global, expansive worship. And this song, Psalm 67, was designed to be used in worship when everyone was together, Because God wanted everyone on the same page about this. This isn't something just for private use, but something that God wants us all to 
experience to feel about him and his glory. But as we mentioned last week, that potential underlying problem with this prayer, not that there's something wrong with the prayer, not that there's something wrong with the psalm, but within us, as we confront this psalm, we say, I see what God wants from me, and I want that too. I want to feel that way about God and I want to feel that way about his glory and I want to feel that way about the gospel going to the nations, but I just don't. We said last week that that is not an uncommon problem, is it? First thing you need to know, the first thing you need to know when you feel that way is that there is no temptation overtaking you but such as is common to man. That this is the experience of God's people always. Old Testament, New Testament. This is the experience that God's people walk through, some of them more often than others. To the extent that there are books written about it. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a book, I have it in my library, it's a series of messages he preached. I don't know, I didn't look at the page, I'm, I'm guessing there's nearly... 300 pages of material, and the book is called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures. Just a series of messages that he preached on this. This is common among God's people. That's why we looked at Psalm 42, so that we could just see on the page, for some, just enough, just seeing that on the page in that state where they feel guilty about how they lack passion for God, and they look at that and they say, oh, look at this. Other believers have experienced the same thing. And God breathed this out through them and put it in the Bible so we could all have words to use. So you're not alone in this. But what do we do in the time when we are waiting? Because we we need to know that it is not God's intention to keep us in a Psalm 42 state, but actually to get us back into a Psalm 67 state, okay? So it is not God's intention for his people to always remain, though he allows them to for a time, but eventually delivers them out. Wasn't this the, the cry of the psalmist, Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6? And he says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's almost like he's been through this before. Like this is not a strange situation for him to be walking through this, knowing that as he hopes in God, he's waiting, you see, and God eventually will restore to him the joy he's longing for. And that, that praise of God, the joy of his salvation, he knows that's coming, he's waiting for it, but what should we do in the meantime? What do we do when we find ourselves in these downcast soul states, right? What are, we, what are we to do? Is there anything we can or should be doing as we wait? Okay, So you can pretend now that what we're going to do is a counseling session, biblical counseling session. So you've come to me, you're prepared to pay your $100 an hour fee for my services. I'm kidding about that, by the way. I don't charge anything. But, and you say... 
I'm down, I'm discouraged, I've been that way for this amount of time. What are some things, what should I be doing? How do I get out of this? Because nobody wants to stay there. Nobody enjoys it. We wanna feel joy. We wanna be passionate for God. So what should we do? Well, first of all, let me just say this. This is not an exhaustive list. I've come up with about six things. There could be many others that you could and should be doing in the meantime as you wait for that praise to restore into your soul, a praise for God, not an exhaustive list. And these are not instantaneous magical fixes for spiritual depression. There's no such thing. It's not like a vending machine where you walk up to it, you see what you want, you put in some coins, you press the button and out comes praise and glory for God. This takes time and it's sometimes a long time and sometimes during it, as you experience, you might be in this state and then little short bursts of hope and joy maybe for a time and then back down again and this, is a, this could be a pattern. So these aren't quick fixes but these are things that you need to be doing. Number one, we do have to recognize that the Christian life and experience and discipleship is a warfare that requires us to fight by God's grace and power and spirit. If you, you want joy and you want that restored and you're in this downcast state, there is a fight that must take place. Because you're in that warfare. As a matter of fact, one of the books out on the shelf that we have recommended in the past well, two of them are by John Piper. So the first one was called Desiring God. And that was a book about telling you how your greatest pursuit in life is for joy and satisfaction in God. And that's good news because that's what we want. And God is most glorified in us, he says, when we are most satisfied in him. And that the chief end of man was to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Those kinds of things. If you've never read it, I recommend it. It's a really thought-provoking and biblical and it it's, uh, can be inspiring. But after he wrote that book, it became really popular and he would speak about it and write about it and such. And people would write into him or come up to him and they came up with essentially the same question. They would start off by saying something like this. I see that what you're saying is absolutely true. Like I should, I should be desiring God and passionate about his glory and filled with joy in him, but I don't experience that. Or I can't keep that. So what do I do? And so, lo and behold, he had to write a second book that's called When I Don't Desire God, How to, listen, Fight for Joy. There is actually a fight that must take place in us. Do you know, in 2 Timothy, Paul actually, he's coming to the end of his life now. He's on his second imprisonment in 2 Timothy. And he knows he's not getting out of this one. Okay, so this is the one he knows. He's aware. Not like his first one where he had hope that he's getting out. This one he knows. This is it. And they're going to execute me. And so he's writing to Timothy who's really discouraged. Timothy is Psalm 42 all the way in 2 Timothy. Okay, know that context of the book. He's down. 
was prone, from what we read in Scripture, he's probably prone to discouragement and things, and he's trying to minister there in Ephesus. Paul writes to him, and at the end of the letter almost, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, this is what he says. Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, as he looks back on his journey with Jesus Christ, Okay, from Acts chapter 9 on, all those missionary journeys, everything he did, planting churches, worshiping God himself, growing in the grace and knowledge of God, he looks back on it and he, and he could characterize it like this. It was a fight. Now it's a good fight. But it was a fight. I kept the faith, even though it's implying that there was a fight over that faith that he had. This is something he had to fight I finished the race. That sound familiar? Like Hebrews 12, you're running this marathon now looking to Jesus. This long distance endurance race into the kingdom. This is a struggle and a fight. And the reason you have to, I have to start with this is because for some people, and you've maybe never experienced this, but I know many Christians experience this. The struggle, the struggle goes on and on and they eventually get to the point, you know what they want to do? They just give up. So that everything else I'm about to say, just practical counsel from the word of God, is like, I'm not trying that anymore. I don't have it in me to do those things. It can be very tempting in times of discouragement to just give up. You see that, when you're like that in the Christian experience, you have fallen from discouragement to despair. You know what despair is? Despair and discouragement are different. You can be discouraged but not despairing. Despairing is when there's no more hope. You don't see any hope in front of you. It's always going to be like this. And therefore I give up. Friends, that goes contrary to everything written to God's people in the scripture. You may feel that way. And that's a valid feeling. Feelings are valid. But when you work with people, you validate feelings. Your feeling is real. It's not pretend, but it's not a true feeling. Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Maybe that's the only verse you need to be quoting to yourself over and over and over again. You cannot give up in this. You must press on in the fight as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you see. Theologians in the past have described the church from two perspectives. One is the church triumphant. That's all of those who have gone before us and are now in heaven and in glory. Triumphed. They're there. It's a church triumphant. No more fight for them. Us in glory in the future. That will be the church triumphant. They have overcome the world in and through Jesus Christ. And there we are in glory, never to experience that fight again. But we are not the church triumphant yet. We are the church militant. And now it is still a fight of the faith to the end. We used to teach kids this. At least I grew up with this song. This, given this perspective on the Christian life that's so important to have. 
Like this is a fight so that when you're fighting for joy, you understand this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And we sing, did anybody else sing it? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry or shoot the artillery, right? I may never fly o'er the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Over and over again, I sang that song as a kid. And see, it was good for me. I didn't like it then, but now I do. It's a sermon illustration teaching little ones what the Christian life is all about. It's spiritual warfare. The time is coming, Christian, when you will never have to fight for your joy again. You will never, ever, ever, for all eternity, ever feel spiritual depression ever again. But not yet. Now we are journeying to that time. Not one of the things that's going to make glory awesome. You'll never feel it again. On your worst, most discouraged and depressed day where God feels so distant and your heart is so cold and the Bible is so dry to you, on your worst day, know this. At least remember me saying this right now. This is not your forever experience. As a matter of fact, Psalm 1611 is a psalm I love to read at every single funeral service to remind the people that are there, left behind, of where this person is. Listen to this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Full joy in the presence of God. Pleasures forevermore, uninterrupted Never, ever another season of Psalm 42 again. Christian, don't quit. By God's grace, fight the good fight of the faith. So how do we fight? That's our second point now. Number two, turn to the Bible. Or I might put it this way. In my love of prepositions, Turn into the Bible. The problem is, here is the problem we all experience if we go through times like this, is that when you're in spiritual depression, the Bible just feels dry to you and cold and you'll try to read it and you're like, I don't feel anything different. And so, what is the point of this? You kind of just put your Bible away. But what we need to understand, hear me say this, and then I'll show you from the Bible where this is true. What you have to understand is that spiritual revival, which is what we want, want heart revival, soul revival, that comes, listen, from God through the Bible. Through the truth of God's word. If when your soul is going to be revived, it's going to come from the powerful, living, and active word of God. Now again, it doesn't mean that if you open up your Bible tomorrow, instantaneously now, you're no longer in the state of spiritual depression. But friends, we have to believe what the Bible says about the Bible, and that is that it is the source, the means by which God is going to revive our souls. So you can see how almost deadly to the soul it can be 
if in your times of discouragement, you just turn away from the Bible instead of into it. Listen to this, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Just a, you know, a synonymous with the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Reviving the soul. And what do you want in spiritual depression? I want my soul revived. What is the means by which God revives the soul? His word. It's perfect for that, you see. The precepts of the heart. This is Psalm 19.8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. See, that's what you want. You want your heart now again to rejoice. Where's that going to come from? Well, it's going to come from the precepts of the Lord or the word of God, the Bible itself. You want that light shining in your eyes again, right? You can see usually with somebody. You can tell when they are down. You can tell when they're discouraged. You can, tell, you can see a depressed person in their eyes. David talks about it in Psalm 38 when he was going through another time. And he says, the light of my eyes has departed from me. Well, the command of the Lord is pure, friends. Bringing that light back to your eyes. Psalm 119, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Is that your experience? It is mine often. My soul just clings to the dust. But listen to this prayer. Give me life According to your word. Where is it going to come from? It's going to come from the word of God. Jeremiah was referred to as the weeping prophet. He had the great responsibility of being the prophet warning Judah of the coming Babylonian invasion. To see the destruction of the holy city. And he's weeping through this all. What a horrible assignment, honestly, to get. But he said this, Psalm 15, 16, he said, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Although I see all this destruction and all this devastation, yet I ate your words and they brought joy into my heart, delight into my heart. Isn't that what you want? See, some of your friends, maybe you view the Bible, perhaps, you view the Bible like some kind of textbook with just a lot of facts and just a lot of information that maybe you need to know. But friends, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. You believe that every time you open this book and you begin reading these words, it's a life. It's life-giving. It's active. You say it doesn't feel like it's working. It's working. You've got to believe it's working and let God work through his word, which means you have to turn into the Bible in the times of your spiritual depression. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Yeah, that's exactly it. This is what the word of God does. It gets right through to your heart. But if you close it and put it away, you can see how, how you're starving your soul, essentially, from the one thing that can revitalize it. 
Remember, friends, this is a fight, and it's a war for right affections towards God, and in that war, God has given us one primary weapon, and that is the Bible. Of course, I'm referring here to Ephesians 6. Remember, Paul talks about us being in a spiritual warfare. He says, take up now the whole armor of God so that you can stand against schemes of the devil. Devin done all to stand, and he lifts off all this armor. You're given one offensive weapon in this spiritual battle, and that is the word of God. He says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need it in this fight, okay? So turn into the Bible. Number three, pray honest prayers to God. Pray honest prayers to God. Along with consistent Bible reading, prayer itself can fly out the window when we are not feeling joy and praise. In those times, it can be incredibly difficult to pray, to want to pray, or to find the words to pray. Prayer oftentimes, just like with Bible reading, feels pointless, right? Doesn't feel always like it's doing any good. Sometimes when we're praying in that state of a spiritual depression and downcast place, we, 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 we don't get any answer to our prayer for God to get us out of this. And so we get to the point where we're like, well, what is the point again? Friends, prayer in this time and honest prayers to God is what the biblical precedent that's been set for us that throughout these times, part of the fight for joy is through prayer to him. You know, one author refers to prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie given to the soldiers out in the battle so that they can communicate directly at any time with their commander and get the help they need and the resources they need sent in to help them. You need to see it that way. Prayer is an absolute necessity in these times, in this wartime, for your soul and for spiritual joy. You need to be communicating with the commander, even if that's crying out for help, crying out for grace just to make it through another hour of the day or night that you are in. You're crying out to God, and if you can't think of Words to say, God in his goodness and grace and love for you has provided for you words to say. Like Psalm 38, verses 9 and 10. Oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. Or Psalm 39, verses 12 and 13. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Or Psalm 42, 9. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Psalm 70, verses four through five, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say forevermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. You know what, some, you may need to do this. You may need to actually take a passage of scripture like that. You open your Bible and you just get alone with God and you pray it to him over and over again. And then it will not be long, I'm sure, that other thoughts and feelings and words and sentences 
that spring off of this, that come from your heart as you pour out your complaint to God? For some of you, this could be the best thing you could probably ever do is just turn into the Bible, find passages like this, get alone with God, and cry out to him. Ask him to help you and deliver you. Be like Jacob, and I'm not leaving here now until you bless me. I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm going to pray this over and over to you, God. Bless me now and help me. Pour out your grace on me. These are given to us of God so he can see that you are not alone, that this is the experience of his people and that he allows and accepts and encourages honest prayers to him. Even when you say things that you know deep down aren't theologically accurate, like why have you forgotten me, God? As though God has forgotten you. This is our God. Isn't it wonderful? How kind he is. How patient and loving and so quick and ready to bestow grace on the one who cries out for it, you see. So friends, in your times of discouragement, don't turn away from him by turning away from his word and by turning away from prayer. Turn towards him and seek him. And that leads me to number four. Spend quiet, frequent, solitary time with God. Spend quiet, frequent, solitary time with God. We live in a noisy world. And if we're honest, part of the problem is when we wake up in the morning, sometimes one of the first things we do is we reach for that phone And all the noise of the world just floods into our minds and hearts. You know, part of the fight for joy is going to be a a fight of discipline. They used to call them the spiritual disciplines for a reason. We've got to discipline ourselves. You know, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. You ever made the connection between the word disciple and discipline? You need discipline to be a disciple. And maybe one of the things that you need to do in your battle against discouragement and depression is you don't touch your phone first thing in the morning. And you get alone with God. Maybe you can't do that in the morning. I understand some people can't. You find another time of the day you get alone with God, quiet, solitary time. You read biographies of people from the past. They all had the same battles we have struggles with depression and that but you read about how some of them handled it and, they, and it was all, it, oftentimes it was solved in a moment when they were walking in the woods all by themselves praying and thinking and reading the Bible you see and that is an art we have lost today if you're not in the quiet sometimes with God sometimes entire maybe entire days I remember uh, I had a seminary class at BJU and one of the requirements twice during the semester you had to have a day alone with God and that means you couldn't have any communication with really the outside world and you just got alone with God in the Bible and you'd go somewhere do something unfortunately that's a habit I didn't maintain that he was trying to explain to young 
ministers to be, how important that would be for their souls. But it's something we need to think about, friends. Remember, God is a someone. He is not a something. And therefore, a personal growing relationship with a someone takes time and communication, doesn't it? Can you really grow in love with somebody you don't ever talk to or spend time with or hear from? No, you can't. God is a someone. He's not a something. Hear that. You are approaching a living being when you get alone with him who sees and hears you. And Jesus was telling, talking about prayer. Remember, he said, don't do all your prayers. Don't do your prayers in front of other people to be seen by pre- people. Where do you do it? You do it in private. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. We get alone with our God and spend that time. Sometimes for some of you, that might be your mornings. Could be a car drive, turn off the radio and pray. Put on scripture and listen to it. Number five, search out your heart and confess your sins. Search out your heart and confess your sins. Now, let me say this. Not all discouragement and spiritual depression is caused by a sin. In other words, not like I've sinned and I'm discouraged, like Psalm 38 and 39. It's not all caused by that. Make that very clear. But some is. Sin or the weight that Hebrews 12 says, take off the weight that's slowing you down in the race, set aside the sins that so easily beset you. Some of it is. Some of that slowing down is weight in our life, maybe good things that slow us down because we give too much time to them, frankly. Or sins that we are indulging in. Secretly, privately, maybe even just in our minds and hearts. But sin, friends, is a joy killer and a peace robber and a fellowship destroyer. And when we're harboring these secret sins and giving in to temptations with no repentance, then God in his goodness and grace can often withdraw that joyful sense of his presence. And if you think about it, that's very kind of him to do. If you're doing something as his child that's destructive to you and to your soul and to those who are around you, if he were to continue to just bestow upon you these wonderful feelings of his presence and joy, and you're not turning from it, and you're harboring these, that wouldn't be good of him to do. You search your heart. You may pray something like this. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I know from personal experience, that's kind of a scary prayer to pray. Like we often don't want to know what's in our hearts. (laughs) Or we know and we just don't want it pointed out to us. Or we know what some of the problems are, but we just don't want to give them up. We don't want to do what's necessary to do it. But friends, how, what a necessary component of this struggle for faith, isn't it? To do this to say, God, now you show me what's, if there's any problem here so that I can work on it. I want my joy restored. And if, that is because, if my joy isn't there because I'm doing something, show that to me. I mean, it's like going to the doctor when you think you've got a problem. That's scary to do. They're going to run their tests and they're going to 
come back with something and you're afraid I don't want to hear what it is, but how essential it is for you to do it because then they can put you on the right course to fix it. So in these times of prayer, don't be afraid, Christian. You know the Christian never has a reason to fear God exposing sin to him because all of our sins have been cared for in Jesus Christ. We of all people have no reason to fear sin because it's been defeated in Christ, right? Christ, as we sing, has defeated every sin. You never have to fear that. And as soon as you see it, you look to Jesus, thank God for his righteous life and ask the Spirit for help in that area. Begin walking and see if maybe over time joy is restored to you. The Bible says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit is grieved by our behavior, he's not going to produce his fruit in us of joy and peace, okay? So confess it and repent it. Psalm 66, verses 17 and 19, I cried to him with my mouth. High praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer because we openly confess knowing his forgiveness and the wonderful results of walking with him all because of Jesus Christ. Number six, and finally, this is the last one, Keep worshiping God. Keep praising God. Keep blessing God. Do it privately and do it publicly. That is another thing that goes out the window in time of spiritual depression, especially the corporate worship. Many people don't want to come into a service and worship. Maybe it's for valid reasons. Say, I feel like a hypocrite when I'm in there. Friends, you're not, you're not a hypocrite if you're showing up seeking joy in God through Jesus Christ and worshiping, not just because you want to, but because God commands it. There's a reason in all of the commands of Scripture to praise God. You go through the Psalms, it's all over. Praise God, bless God, uh, give glory to God, worship God, sing to God. It's always a command, never like a suggestion. Hey, try this if you're down. Try worshiping God. No, it's always a, a command. One of the things I love about the worship service when we gather together is even in the times when I'm not feeling in my private life like being in the word and I'm struggling with prayer and my soul is discouraged, I come and so in times I fail and just say, I'm not going to read my Bible right now. I'm not going to pray right now. I'll confess that. But I come into the worship service and you know when I pray, I pray when it's time to pray, regardless of how I feel. I read the Bible when it's time to read the Bible. And it, it doesn't matter if I feel like it or not, because if I don't, you all will fire me, you see? <laughs> and the wonderful thing about being in a worship service is that it will be time to sing now, praises God. Well, my heart doesn't feel like it, but I'm going to do this now. And I'm singing to you. You can say to God, you know my heart. You know, I don't feel it. But stir this up within me, you see. You're hearing the word read. You're worshiping. Psalm 34, 1 through 3 says this. Listen, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
Even in my times of discouragement, right? Even in my times of depression, this is our resolve. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. How many times I've come into the morning worship service and left renewed because this was the time when all of God's people were together magnifying the Lord together. Praise him and worship him no matter how you feel. And actually, the, uh, the interesting thing about that is when you praise and worship God, though you don't feel like it, but you tell him that and you praise him to the best of your ability, that's praising God. That's not disglorifying to this God. That is glorifying to him that this one is struggling in his heart and soul and yet here he is, I'm singing praises to you God, I'm, I'm seeking you God and isn't that what we're supposed to do? We come to him by faith believing that those who seek him, he's gonna reward them. I'm coming to you God now to worship you regardless of what is happening. It actually shows that you, I mean deep down, you're not after just what he gives, you see? If you worship him through that discouraged time, you're not after just what he gives, you're after him, you see. You're in it for God, not the gifts he gives. So whether he gives you the gift of the sense of his presence and the joy or not, your commitment is, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's resolve, Christian. It's resolved to rejoice, as Paul says, in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And friends, through all of this and much more you could be doing as you're waiting, just wait for him to answer your prayers. It's the hardest part of anything, isn't it? We're in, if we're in this downcast state, we don't want to be there. We want out. I want out of this that's it's a form of suffering and like any suffering you wish it to end i want to be past this now i want to be where i was i i want to be feeling this passion for god but now in his providence he has you waiting but while you're waiting know this i mean commit this to memory psalm 40 verses 1 through 3 ready this is the Greatest thing, because after 38 and 39, Psalm 38, 39, David's lamenting, and he gets to Psalm 40. Listen to this. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Listen to this, friends. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He put that progression, Psalm 38, Psalm 39, Psalm 40, for you so that you could see you wait now for him. You do these things, but you wait. You wait for the Lord to do it. You wait patiently, and he will. He will deliver you, Christian. He has promised to do this. And keeping in mind, this is not your forever suffering. Even if this lasted until the day you died. Your downcast stay lasted until the day he took you out of this world, friends. You will never experience it again. That's our hope of the glory of God.
I hope this is helpful to you. Let's pray. Father, as we have confessed what a needy people we are for your grace, and we thank you for the grace that you've provided for us in Jesus. Now, I ask this. Let the amen sound from your people again. Because God, you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied and joyful and passionate about you. I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.